This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 38. I am John DiCarlo, joined once again by Kyle Gauss and Dante Colinelli. No Sam Cohn, no Caden Steele, no Javon Edmonds. But I do have two other people who are with us at Top Golf on Sunday in beautiful Northeast Philadelphia. My first yeah. time. And Dante won. I did win. An underrated moment, which I really don't think we harped on enough. Oh, God. Is Dante not knowing if he was left handed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in my defense, I don't think I've swung. I have not swung a golf club outside of mini golf in a very long time. And I would argue that mini golf is so simple because I'm ambidextrous. Like I can write with both of my hands and like I do a lot of other stuff with both of my hands. So like mini golf for me, like I can mini golf righty. And it's like not a problem. What do you swing a bat with? I am a switch hitter. What what side are you better hitting at? <laughs> Probably lefty, but like. I don't know. I wasn't like, it was less about me not knowing I was a lefty and me being like, I thought you were going to stop there. It was less about me. It was more about, you know, no, 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 no. I was like a little, I was like caught off guard because I assumed that they would have lefty clubs there. So when she asked me, which I was they like, did, you just had to ask. Well, no, she asked me and I was like, I like, yeah, sure. I'm a lefty. Let's do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It was, what it did, was a bad, it was not a good moment for me. What did That's she call the, Kyle? What did she t- say to Kyle when he, it doesn't matter because she moved on fun from sponge. Yeah. No, no, no. She said, if you, yeah, if you don't want to be a fun sponge, because I said asshole, but she moved on from disliking the meat to disliking Sam very quickly. <laughs> and like, rightfully so Sam was dropping hard F bombs next to like a nine year old. So to society, Sam Cohn. Otherwise, a nice guy, but he it, it barked at her like she was like it, it was. What did you? We're we're making Sam sound like a total scumbag, and he's really not. What I didn't like, he forgot to say like yes, thank you. She's like, are you done? He's like, yeah. He's just looking straight out. And it, it wasn't even like yeah. It was yeah. It was like a like a a, a harsh thing, and he moved on with his day. My dude was also struggling though. Uh, he had had a rough night the night before, so just being there, you know, availability is the best ability, and he was there. Yeah. Dante, what was your strategy in terms of if hitting a flag and just picking your points? Because you did technically win. I realized that if I hit the ball straight, roughly 100 yards, that I got points every time. So I just did that. Um, now, also, there is a important note to make that I tried to hit the ball in the air every time and I was incapable of doing so. (laughs) Um, So it was, I figured out that not only was that the best strategy to win, but also that was all I was capable of doing. Cause (laughs) I I know you guys probably looked at me and were like, this kid, he's just trying to win. Like I was really trying to hit the ball up in the air a couple of times. I can assure you that thought never went through. (laughs) My next passive aggressive question for you was going to be like, how many shots were you actually happy with? maybe four like I, I was really trying to like drill the ball a couple of times and I just kept hitting them like straight into the closest like flag that is not like the putt ones you know I'll just say this uh because I'm not a great golfer whatsoever but a lot of times when people like talk about golfing I think to myself like oh would I want to golf with that person or are they so much better than me that like I wouldn't have fun not too worried about golfing with anybody that uh, showed up on Sunday. <laughs> I think I think we're all we're all we're all pretty reasonable within the same range. Sam's been playing a lot. Recently. That's what I'm saying. For yeah, somebody that talks about that much, I assume I assumed he'd be a, a bad day swinging the wrenches. Just yeah. uh, I was disappointed. I was disappointed in Sam. I'm just gonna say that, but love him dearly. Expecting to be a better enough. golfer. It was, it was it was also Dante and Sam's graduation gift. It's true, which we didn't. Which I realized after the fact, like I never like said that to you. You won a grand <laughs> prize to spending time in Northeast Philadelphia. It was fun. It was great. Nice. Are you kidding? That was good. Kyle, is that a is that a Pennsylvania Dutch root beer you're sipping there? Uh, it's a birch beer. Thank you. A diet birch, birch beer. beer. Thank you very much. There you go. Delightful. Delightful little treat. People, I feel like people grow out of drinking root beer and birch beer. I don't understand why. I love. I, I love beer like, birch beer. I haven't had one since I was like twelve. Exactly. People yeah. grow out of it. It's a delightful treat. 
while they are not necessarily a sponsor. Can we talk about this? I always bring this up. You know what I'm going to say. You drink soda out of the side of your mouth. I literally just drank it out of my normal nose. Maybe my mirrors. And I, I first noticed this in the press box. You you talk to me and have an entire conversation. It used to be a lot worse. I used to legitimately do like... <laughs> it. It's only with cans. Cans don't make sense. Like whoever designed cans to us, I, I have agree. a nose, right? It pushes up against the can. Why would I put myself through that when I can just move it an inch to the left, an inch to the right? No nose being pushed up against the can. It's a good take. See? Yeah. With bottles and everything, sure, great, because it's not going to hit my nose. With this, I'm just going to rotate. Mm. Well, fight me. I'm a 33-year-old man. <laughs> I'm stuck in my ways. <laughs> Oh my we struck a nerve so we'll move on uh thank you all once again for for uh joining us for another episode of the scoop we have a lot of good stuff for you today uh we're going to play part of our interview with khalif wyatt former uh temple basketball player of course who was uh as you'll hear in the segment of the interview that we're going to play for you uh is going to retire from playing after a little Wild. more than nine years um, and has a coaching career ahead of him. He's actually going to be coaching the Big Five TBT team. But um, we're going to play a, a segment of that interview. The rest of it is going to be available to outscoop.com subscribers. But we'll play a, a good chunk of this interview for you here. Uh, a lot's happened since we recorded last week. Taj Thweet ends up at Temple after all. The, the former Wildwood Catholic star who played with Jaleel White after spending two seasons at West Virginia, then a semester at Coastal, Coastal Carolina, excuse me, hits the transfer portal again, uh, and then a week later verbally commits to Temple. That was uh, last Friday, correct? I think it was last Friday. Sounds so, right. Sounds right. Yeah, we'll have a, a clip of my conversation with him, uh, and then Temple also got its first verbal commitment on the football side of things from the 2023 class uh, from Richard Dandridge, uh, a wide receiver out in Florida or down in Florida, uh, who – by all indications, looks like a pretty good first get for them. Probably projects as a as a slot receiver, um, but had some some good schools in the mix in his recruitment. Uh, Jafar Williams was the lead recruiter there, Temple's wide receivers coach, who was formerly at Virginia Tech. So we'll talk a little bit about that um, and a few remaining mailbag questions. So uh, we'll we'll dive into things here with um, my conversation with Khalif Wyatt. So again, you know, as I said at the outset of my interview with him. If you're listening to this podcast, you know who Khalif Wyatt is and uh, how we connected with the fan base. He played with a lot of personality, a good feel for the game. And uh, you're going to hear him here talking about um, why he's retiring now, uh, the birth of his daughter, Zuri. You'll hear her a lot in the background <laughs> during this interview. And he told me before we started recording, he said, hey, as long as you don't mind uh, hearing my, my daughter, you know, well, making noises and cooing in the background. He's like, and then the dog might get started too. So I said, Hey, big dog person. So, uh, but Khalif was great. Gave me about 45 minutes of his time. And that, like I said, you're going to hear part of that interview here. So in this segment that you're going to hear here, you'll hear him talking about how he got involved with coaching the big five TBT team, um, whether or not he wants to pursue coaching full-time in the future, uh, the M sport business that he started over the last five years, um, and uh, just his experience in playing overseas overall. So uh, we're going to play that segment of the interview for you here now. All right. We are thrilled to be joined by our next guest. And not only is, not only is this guy one of the greatest players in Temple basketball history, but I think, I think it's fair to say he's also one of the most popular players in the history of the, of the program because of the way he played, the way he carried himself, the way he connected with fans. And that is Khalif Wyatt. Uh, was kind enough to join us today. Khalif, thanks so much for doing this, man. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, again, unless you guys have been living under a rock, you know just how good Khalif Wyatt was at Temple. He scored 1,576 career points, averaged 20.5 points per game in senior season, almost single-handedly led Temple to the Sweet 16 that year. He had 31 points in each of those two games and the win over NC State and then the loss to Indiana where he and Victor Oladipo just kept trading one big shot after another. Uh, but, Khalif, before we get – more into basketball have to congratulate you on the birth of your daughter Zori how's she how's she doing and, and what is it like being a father uh thank you uh it's amazing it's amazing man uh she's two months she turned two months yesterday on, mm -hmm. uh on May 23rd uh it's been great man she's 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 beautiful she's sleeping she's 
brightened up my life. Let's just say uh, that. That's incredible. You're going to be a great father. Um, you see, you told me recently as we were setting this up that after almost 10 years of, of playing, uh, playing overseas, that you're retiring now. What made you decide to retire now? Is it just making time for your daughter? Is a little bit of everything? What, what's, what goes into that decision? So I was, uh, I was currently playing this season. I was in Romania mm-hmm. um, playing for a team out there. And uh, I, I knew, of course, my girlfriend was pregnant when I left. Uh, mm-hmm. I left in November. Uh, so I knew my baby was expected to be born in um, in, in March. Mm-hmm. So I already discussed with the team that I was going to come home for that for the birth of my daughter. Uh, so when they gave me the when they when they got when it came time for March and I came home, they gave me like a week or ten days or something like that to be home with my family and to uh, you know to go back or whatever. But when I got home and my daughter was born, I was just like. It was just super tough for me to uh to get back on that flight and to go yeah. back over there and finish the season. Uh so I decided, you know, with my family just to, you know, not come back for this for this season. Mm-hmm. Uh so maybe like two weeks went by and I was just like, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't think I can I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to take that trip again. Uh, you know, that that flight, you know, and possibility of being away from my daughter for that you know amount of time or mm-hmm. or just uh you know a lot of things a lot of things went into it but really it was it was my daughter being born and uh and me just feeling like it was time to uh you know switch gears and to you know uh do some other things mm-hmm. i don't think anybody would argue with that decision um yeah. tell me how things came together with you know we'll talk about this more in a second you see you want to get more into coaching and you're going to be coaching this big five tbt team uh, are you going to be a, are you going to be a player coach or just coaching? So I'm just going to be coaching. They, uh, they want me to play. Uh, I explained to them that I was retiring and that, you know, I didn't want to play just because I didn't want to cause any confusion between like what I'm trying to do as a coach and mm-hmm. what I did, what I did as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once I told them that they respected my decision, it was like, well, you know, you're, you're one of our most, you know, popular guys and one of our, you know, you were going to be one of our key players, but, you know, we don't really have a coach right now. So if you want to coach, you know, I think this would be a good opportunity for you to, uh, you know, to coach and just be a part of what we're trying to do here with this TBT team, uh, this big five TBT team. So I immediately accepted and, uh, and was like, yeah, like, let's do it. Uh, so looking forward to it, looking forward to, you know, uh, being in this space as a coach and, and, uh, you know, seeing some guys that I played with and guys that I played against and uh, and really just, you know, making this transition from a player to a coach. How tough, I'm sure I'm going to be the millionth player, m- excuse me, millionth person to ask you this. How tough do you think it's going to be to, to, I mean, I have no doubt you'll be a great coach, but are there going to be times where you're just going to say like, I, I got to get out there. I got to get out there. I'm going to play, <laughs> come off a screen, hit a shot. Like, does that go through your mind or are you kind of just over all of that? Yeah, so it's funny. So when I first tore my ACL in 2017, uh, I was coaching. I was coaching kids, and mm-hmm. I was coaching um, an adult team. Like I have an adult league in Narstown, mm-hmm. and I was uh, coaching a team in that league. So I was injured. I couldn't play, and I was coaching. And immediately after that summer, I was like, I'll never be a coach. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to get out there. That's when I was still in super player mode, like, oh, I'm still this great scorer. Uh, and I was like, I'll never be a coach because I'm just going to be frustrated with the fact that they're not doing what I would do. Uh, so fast forward to 2022, uh, I just have a different outlook on coaching, really. Uh, and just feel like I can be able to help players and be able to, you know, talk to players and be able to, uh, you know, mentor players and, and just just be that, you know, the way the, the the main thing that made me get into coaching is that all the great coaches I had that helped me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be one of those guys who helps a lot of players because uh, a lot of people, a lot of great coaches helped me. So that's mm-hmm. just my my plan to help a lot of people through coaching. Tell me a little bit about the roster. I mean, you've got like it seemed it feels like yesterday to me that I saw you and Dalton trading baskets in the, in the Donofrio classic. That was still one of the, that's still some of the most fun I've ever had covering a game. And so you play with Dalton, you got 
Ryan Daly, you've got Ramon Galloway. It's definitely a, a you know Philly centric team. What what do you uh, what do you like about the roster and the composition of the team? How'd that all come together? Uh, so as soon as they um they they brought me on as a coach, they they introduced me to the roster and the guys that we had and the guys that we're trying to get. Um, and I was impressed with the roster just from, I mean, just a, a lot of, it's all big five guys, but it's, uh, you know, talented guys. We got good size. Uh, I think the most important thing for, for TBT, me personally, from being a player in TBT is having, uh, is having size and versatility, you know, guys that can play multiple positions mm-hmm. and, and guard multiple positions. Uh, and then the second thing would be guys that just play hard. I feel like the teams that, that usually win it, they're, they're, of course, they're talented, but most of the time they have good size throughout their lineup and they, they, they can all guard multiple positions and they play hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they brought me on as coach, I just was like, you know, well, yeah, we want guys with some size and some versatility and guys that's going to play hard because uh, that's the team that usually win this thing. Are you going to be just as animated as a coach as you were as a player? Because, I mean, I, one of the things I enjoy, too, is you, you would crack the refs up sometimes. Even if you went over and talked to them, you'd wait a second, and even some of the guys calling the game would, would just would laugh because you had a good way of approaching them. You think you'll be the same way as a coach? Uh, I, I guess we'll see, man. I don't know. I'm definitely not going to uh, – I know I'm not going to – I'm not super jumping around guy, uh, super – um, but I don't know, man. We'll see. I got I I got minimal coaching experience just as far as like I've coached on the AAU circuit, and I uh, you know I've I've coached a, a men's league in my my community for like the last four years. Uh, so I just know I'm going to be a you know I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna want to win, and I'm gonna try to put my team in the best situations to win, and uh, you know everything else will just it'll just be supernatural. However, I'm however I am on the sideline will just be. Supernatural. So we have a, I'm blending in a few mailbag questions here. These are from our Al Scoop subscribers, and these are coming from screen names that they use. So this first mailbag question is Green Street Al, along the lines of coaching. Uh, Khalif, would you would you coach or be part of Temple staff if you were ever asked? Um, that's a possibility. I'm actually um, I'm actually finished. So I, when I was at Temple, I didn't graduate. I was like eight credits short. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually going to finish up my degree in December. I'm registered for um for my classes in the fall. Cool. Yep. So I'm going to graduate in December. Mm-hmm. And then once I graduate in December, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be looking to get into coaching full time. And, you know, if there's an opportunity at Temple, you know, I definitely look into it. And I'm going to be, uh, you know, taking offers from, you know, all over the country, really. How cool. So you'd be willing to move if you had to, to go get into coaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, one of the other things, and again, you, you've accomplished, I mean, you're 30 years old right now, right? Mm-hmm. So you've accomplished a lot, even just beyond playing. And w- one of the things that you've built is M Sport with the M standing for a marathon mindset. Can you just talk to us about everything that encompasses ever since that started coming together? I guess it was what, 2017? Once you got, I think that was after your first ACL tear is when all this started to come together, right? Yep. Yep. So I got injured in 2017. Uh, first time I've ever been injured in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh First time I ever had to miss a game due to injury it was 2017, uh, tore my ACL. So it was the first time I was ever really away from the game and had time to just, you know, think and, you know, think about myself and, you know, who was I, who was I as a person, not as a basketball player. Uh, and this, uh, I guess, what do people call it? This, uh, I don't want to say alter ego, this, you know, this mantra that kind of came with, with that, that time out of the game was, was the marathon mindset and mm-hmm. which stands for, you know, overcoming adversity and, um, being and persevering, uh, and just really, you know, dealing with the ups and downs of life, not just sports. Uh, so that's what came with it. And I was able to, you know, create a brand behind it. Uh, we, we we've been doing camps and clinics for the last four years. Oh, damn. 2017. So what's that? Five years. Yeah. Five years. Uh, and we've been, you know, doing sports apparel and team uniforms and things like that. And, uh, and really it's just a way for me to, um, you know, to motivate people and to, to really just, you know, inspire people to be healthy and to, to just push through all problems because, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in life and Mm -hmm. they push through. And that's, that's what I've been doing. And that's just what I want to, the message I want to get out there and, 
just let people know, you know, it's a long, it's a long race. It, Matt Breen uh, did this great story about you back in March in the Inquirer. I would encourage everybody to check it out. It was awesome stuff. And um, one of the things that you told him was at that time that you kind of feel like everything happens for a reason and, and this was meant to happen for a reason. Sometimes that's easier said than done because, yet, like you said, you'd never really had a serious injury before. Then it happens and it happens while you're overseas and, and away from your family. How do you did it take a while to make peace with that? Or is that something that kind of came easier to you where you said, okay, this, this must've happened for a reason, because that's, again, that's, that's easier said than done. Anytime there's adversity in life, it's okay to be like, damn, why did this happen to me? But was that something that came naturally to you or did, you, did it really take a while to kind of make peace with that? Um, I'm going to say it really, I really took like three, four days of really just being like in the dumps, like, wow this really happened to me I was at the height of my career I was playing literally the best basketball I've ever been playing in my life um I was having so much fun uh it was just a really good time for me as far as on the court and uh so for that first three four days I was really in my pity bag and just like damn why me like I had so much plans for like you know the following seasons and, and like I was already seeing all that stuff unfolding mm-hmm. uh, and then this happened and so after those three four days though I really say that this 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 brand that I created really um it really helped you know one occupy my mind but two it, it gave me something it gave me an outlet it gave me something to you know express myself let people know what I was going through uh and it almost forced me to be like this, this persevering, strong person because I was building a brand behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's really how it went. So I really took like three, four days until I really just got in my, you know what, like life's not over. Like let's, let's build something special and let's, let's just be positive and you're going to be fine. Uh, whatever happens, you're going to be fine and just keep pushing forward. So your pro career took you to China, Israel, the Philippines, France, and like we said, most recently, Romania. I mean, that's a lot of basketball, a lot of stops. What are, uh, you know, John Chaney used to say when he looked back at his career, I see faces. And like when he talked about memories, like are there any faces, memories that come back to you? What are some of the things that stand out from from your, you know, international playing career? Because it was a good one. Um, Two things. Uh, in Israel, I got a chance to bring my mom and my brother to Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came over there with me for like a month. That was cool. Uh, you know, just for them to experience that. And, you know, uh, that was definitely a great experience for me. Um, playing in France when I was like an hour away from Paris was pretty cool. I was mm-hmm. uh, a big fan of just the area and mm-hmm. like being able to go to Paris an hour away. Mm-hmm. Um I had a lot of great experiences, man. A lot. I hear a lot of horror stories about overseas and people going to all these places and uh, all these cold, different type of places or all these, uh, you know, just bad situations that I hear about over there. For 10 years, I literally was, was nine, uh, 2014, two, yeah, nine seasons. Uh, I didn't have one bad experience. Like, I was in great places. I always got paid on time. And uh, I had I played for a few really really good coaches, um, and I just really had fun. And I just was experiencing different cultures, uh, and just just enjoying it, man. Just really having fun. And that's another mailbag question here along those lines. The screen name is HBG Al, and the question is your favorite meal that you had playing overseas. So again, you played in some areas where they had some good food. Is there a favorite meal that you had, or a favorite couple favorite spots? Um. I say in Israel, uh, in Israel is when I really got hit to falafel. Mm-hmm. And I used to get a good, uh, I'm not going to say it was my favorite, but it was just something that's, uh, I guess, unique to their culture. And well, it's not, well, we got it here, of course, but right. uh, I say, yeah, I was really getting into like falafel and hummus and, and, and dishes like that while I was in Israel. So again, a big thank you to Khalif Wyatt uh, for joining me for an interview. Again, you can hear the rest of that interview if you are an alscoop.com subscriber. We'll have the rest of that interview on the site in a couple of days. 
uh, in that segment, you're going to hear about um, what it meant for him uh, and that team uh, to beat Duke 10 years ago. A lot of his memories of playing for Fran Dunphy. Um, there's some stuff uh, about him talking about becoming the player he was at Norristown High School. He answered a few more mailbag questions. Uh, the NCAA tournament games he played in, his thoughts on the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, his thoughts on Fran Dumpty being back at LaSalle. So that's all stuff that you'll get uh, if you're an alscoop.com subscriber. So again, a big thank you to Cleef White. Hope you guys enjoyed that portion of the interview. And again, I said, as I said, you can hear more of it or the rest of it uh, if you subscribe to alscoop.com or if you're already a subscriber. So um, let's talk about Taj Sweet committing to Temple. So again, at the time, uh, three seasons ago, Aaron McKee and his staff were recruiting both players. And, um, you know, again, like the, the full story hasn't been written here, but at the time, you know, Taj Sweet was getting more of the recruiting attention from bigger schools than Jaleel White. And then you'd start to hear from people like, well, Taj might be the better athlete, a little bit more of the high flyer, but, you know, you wonder if Jaleel White might turn out to be the better player, might be more versatile. And then, you know, Again, we hear everything from well, a lot of stuff from fans. And then if you hear something like that, and if Temple gets Jaleel White, doesn't get Tosh Sweet, the, the typical disgruntled fan says, well, they lost Tosh to West Virginia. Jaleel got hurt. That's the only reason why they got him. This is just bright-siding things. But again, a lot of basketball left to be played. But Jaleel White sits out his true freshman season, recovering from that second torn meniscus. Uh, and then Tosh spends two seasons at West Virginia, and it just – wasn't a good for, good fit for him there. He barely played. Um, and Jaleel put together a pretty solid, you know, I guess second year freshman, we'll call him season and ended up being the big five rookie of the year. And, uh, but now they're reunited again and um, interesting development. I, there are so many people who thought that, that Taj might be a bounce back guy. Uh, I think that we kind of had our eye out for this, but then, you know, and he, he talked about this in his conversation with me. He very much kind of admitted that, you know, he hit the portal about, it'll be almost two weeks ago at this point. And he did say, you know, I was keeping an eye on who they were recruiting over that week. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, if, if Temple had gotten RJ Lewis, if they had gotten um, Max Edwards, right. They got, it ended up a GW. I don't know if Taj is here, uh, but uh, Max ends up at GW, RJ ends up at UMass, and now Taj is is back, reunited with his teammates. So, um, again, played sparingly at West Virginia. We know the type of athlete he is. Um, I'm going to play a clip here for you guys real quickly. This is a, a part of uh, my conversation with Taj from last Friday, um, just asking him about why Temple, why now, and, uh, and his thoughts on Jaleel White as well. You know Temple. You grew up in the area – what is it? Why is why is it a fit now? What do you like about them now? I mean, you know a lot about the program already, but what do you like now that when you look at the program and you say, okay, I'm coming to Temple, what is it that you like about uh, the staff, the feel, and all that stuff? I mean, it just feels good to be back. Um, and like I said, I'm getting ready. I just can't wait to be back on the court with my former teammate. So, yeah, I'm just excited. Mm -hmm. It felt good when I was there. So, And I expect, like, great conference um everything like that it's always a good team so mm -hmm. yes what, i can't wait what did uh what did aaron tell you in terms of you know you're you're a pretty versatile player and people have always kind of seen you that way how does aaron when when aaron sat down with you and talked about how he sees you fitting in what did what did he tell you about what he sees for you in your future there um he just said he wants to put me at the three four um i can really guard the two through the two through four, mm -hmm. really, but he wants me at the three, four. Mm -hmm. How do you think, I mean, obviously you were a very, very good high school player. Um, how would you describe, like, how, how, how would you say your game has evolved from the time you were at Wildwood Catholic? Do you feel any different as a player? Do you feel like if you, you've improved in any areas or anything like that? Um, my game has um, changed a lot from high school. Um, I'll say at West Virginia, they built, they made me to, into a, a true wing I'll say, mm -hmm. um, since I left West my since I left West Virginia, my shooting has improved. My guarding the ball has improved. Um, I've always known how to rebound the ball, but um, yeah, I just say my game my game has totally changed. Right, so, what do you guys make of this? Because uh, the fans 
who wanted him to end up at Temple in the first place are excited about this. And what we don't know yet is if he's going to play this year. And he told me in our interview that he hopes to receive a waiver. That's not a foregone conclusion yet. Uh, I think because he spent a, a full semester uh, at Coastal Carolina that he would have to pursue a waiver. He said that you know family concerns are part of it. His grandmother lives in Germantown. He wants to be close to her. He was very close to his grandfather who passed away almost a couple of years ago now. Um, so he's no longer living you know, out at, uh, in Wildwood on the Jersey Shore. But um, what does this mean for the program? Kyle, I'll start with you. Um, from, from a program perspective, I'm not sure if it massively moves the needle in your direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, like we just talked about touch. We, I think objectively was probably their third choice for this position, which is interesting because he's not the same type of player as Max Edward or RJ Lewis. No. He's more of a three, four than a two, three. Um, I think if you needed a comparison, because you're you're dumb little brain, not you, but like you need a comparison. I would compare him to Lear Hollis Jefferson in a way. Yeah. They're similar bodies types. I think Taj is mindset wise, probably closer to what Relier was towards the end, where like he is willing to attempt some threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is like that more wingy aspect to it. I think it's just more quality depth in the program, to be honest. Um, I think if you had room on the clock two years ago, like you talked about, this was relatively obvious. Like West Virginia always seemed like kind of a weird fit for him. Um, it seemed like maybe he did get caught up in the conference and the name, but inevitably found his way back. I think if he can play this year, I think there's a role for him on this team. Um, I'm not sure if it's all of a Sunday 30 minute in the game role and he's pushing for starting, but I think that he's definitely in the rotation for that bench spot, which is something that they need. They still need another guard. They still need somebody to come off the bench, but I think he at least helps kind of, you can kind of map out that rotation of, okay, maybe this is a 15 minute game guy right off the start. Dante, any thoughts on this? I mean, I, I think I just agree with Kyle, right? It's good depth. I mean, you know, maybe he didn't belong at a power five program, but there's a reason that they went after him. It's not like he's not talented, right? So there's something that Temple can tap into. Uh, and whether that's a limited role this year or he, you know, hits that ceiling that you guys were talking about. I mean, my only concern is like, you know, I had to have like Sam, like slowly explain to me the timeline of like where he ended up and like, getting it through my head that he was just at coastal Carolina for a semester played zero minutes of basketball and then re-entered the portal to come to temple. I mean, you know, and temple really wasn't rumored to be in on him until the other two guys went elsewhere. Right. So, you know, he's third choice. He's, you know, this could be what his third school in however many months. So I, I think it's, it's fair to be excited about the upside of getting a former power five player, but also, I mean, just being realistic about, what you're getting with this player, what type of player he is and what role he's going to play. But like Kyle said, and and like we kind of, I think it was the last podcast we have, we were trying to like project what they're going to do with those last spots. I mean, there's a lot of minutes to be had off the bench. I mean, this is not a a particularly deep team, just given the way that the roster turnover has gone this off season. So, um, you know, good depth piece, maybe develops into something as a, as a good, you know, forward, but I I wouldn't get too, too excited about it. Look, he fell for what a lot of people fell for. He fell for a timeshare in Myrtle beach. And then he realized after, <laughs> after a couple months, like, crap, I got to find my way back. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the other thing to, that we kind of have to view this for is he's a three-year guy. He already transferred. He already has used his one-time waiver, and he's now hoping to get another waiver to play right away. And even if he doesn't play, okay, red shirts, then he has three years. And this is a team that fast-forwarding 12 months from now is going to look a lot different than it looks now. And a lot of those guys that are established commodities now will probably not be here. So – I think he has a role this year. and I think he has a much bigger role a season from now, two seasons from now. I mean, if he is, of course, he's going to be betting on himself here and, and, you know, projecting good things for himself in the future. In that clip where I asked him, you know, what type of player are you now, as opposed to a couple seasons ago, he feels like his game has evolved. I mean, obviously I think of the same thing, Kyle, like a, kind of like a poor man's Riley Hollis Jefferson, if he can be an energy guy, if he can defend, if he can score on some putbacks, that's great. Now, as he said, you know, West Virginia tried to make him a little bit more of a pure wing. If a shot, yeah, I realize you could say this about any player. If a shot gets better and he can occasionally knock down a 15-footer or a three-pointer, yeah, then his game opens up a little bit more. He has a very good athlete. But if he's become a better defender, better shooter, sure. You know, at the very worst, he's happy to be home. He's a good athlete. You can bring off the bench. So, 
you know, again, it's again, people would say, oh, he's maybe a bounce back guy. I think he's always, you know, I think just from talking to people, I know uh, why would who were close to that program, they would say, you know, he's close to his family. He's got some family issues going on. I could see maybe getting away was going to be good for him. And then you'd hear, well, maybe getting back home would be good for him. And, and who's to say that he's not being good, a good decision being back home, being closer to his grandmother who's in Germantown. So um, it's, I think it's a low risk, high reward type of, type of move, but the fan base that is still obsessed with the Taj sweet recruiting profile from three years ago, you know, some people chiming in our message boards, this makes him an awesome team. This makes him an awesome team. If he makes great strides in his game, sure. But I don't know. I agree with you, Kyle. I don't know how much it moves the needle for this season, not even knowing for sure if he's going to play. If he does, it's if if he moves the needle, it's going to be as a defender, as an energy guy, a guy that's literally just willing to just as cliche as it sounds, scrap and claw for the minutes that that um that are there for him. If his shot starts to come along, having seen him live a couple of times when he was in high school, I never thought he had bad form on a shot. I think if you watched him shoot a basketball as opposed to Harley, you might think that that Taj has better form on his jumper. He just never showed a ton of that at Wildwood Catholic didn't need to right uh, and then barely played at West Virginia he said when I talked to him you know we were a final four caliber team he meant and it, the, the the team that he had there when he was a true freshman they were kind of loaded but then his minutes decreased even more this past season so um I don't know maybe what maybe being home he'll be more comfortable we'll see but yeah as it doesn't move the needle that much I don't know that it does right now I mean, comfort-wise, if you're really trying to view this from, like, what other aspects of this, this can only help you in your what hopefully is a every-year uh, attempt to retain Jaleel White. Like, yeah. you brought in his high school teammate, one of his good friends. You're, they had success together. Jaleel White, if he continues to make that progression, is going to have people calling for him. So it's it's interesting. And back to your point of if, his, if he gets better shooting and stuff like that, I don't need him to shoot on this team. Right. If he, if he gets a waiver and plays this year, I don't need him to attempt to take 11 shots a game. I need him to play that Relier Jefferson role where you're just doing putbacks and you're playing defense and you're honestly, you're doing what every temple, every good temple team has done for the last 15 years, which is probably playing a little out of position and playing a little more as an undersized big than you should be, but being successful at it. Relier yeah. Jefferson was six, five and a half and he was banging down low. Yeah. They used to list him what six, 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 seven, right? Sure. He was six, five and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dante makes a good point. I mean, there are minutes on this bench. I mean, they're, they're top heavy in that, you know, you're, you're starting five, at least the four of the five, we can safely say are going to be Caleb battle, Damian Dunn, Jaleel white, high Miller. And then either maybe it's, it's Nick Jordan at that fifth spot. Maybe am I, am I the only one that's not ready to just like assume like, yeah, like high Miller's Miller is playing 35 minutes a game. It depends. Well, who, who else? I mean, that I Jaleel's think a point up. forward. Damien right. Dunn can bring the ball up. Like, yeah, but I mean, I, I think I, it's more likely than not that he is the starting point guard, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Well, I know that, I know that the jock can handle the ball and that's what they, they want to see, see him do that more. I'd have to just see him do that more. I mean, he did do it. I mean, that was part of what people were talking about. Um, and part of what, might have allowed him to take off more had he not gotten hurt you know with his with his AAU team he wasn't running the point right and then when they got to play in some of those team AAU events people would say oh wow he can handle the ball a little bit then he hurt his knee and that was the end of that um he can handle the ball just has to prove it can Damien Dunn handle the ball yes but don't we think that kind of I mean, multiple guys can handle the ball. I understand it's not like this robotic, this is your point guard. He's the only guy who brings the ball up the floor. But I, I think Dame handling the ball kind of slows things around. Don't you? I mean, he can create his own shot, but I'd still like to see him bring in somebody who can spell high seer even for a few minutes, maybe. But maybe that's going to be high seer is your, your point guard when he's off the floor, Jaws handling the ball. But you know, what if both those guys on any given night both pick up two fouls in the first half. Oh yeah. And I think, I think there's still a guard that is going to play significant minutes that is currently not on the roster. Yeah. Like I still think that there's roster movement coming in that somebody is going to have a role there, but I just don't think (laughs) I get that. Heiser Miller had like a nice flash towards the end of the season, but I feel like I don't want this to turn into a a trash fest, but like, I feel like us as, as reporters and people as fans, they tend to like really over exaggerate like a six game stretch. Mm-hmm. Like when we look at like Nick Jordan and we're like, wow, like 
they hit on him that six game stretch at the end of his freshman season. He's a lights out shooter. He's a 70% three point shooter. He's shot like 18% since he's in a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like I get it's, it's easy as minds to kind of like assume that that is projectable and I hope it is, but I'm, I'm not fully sold. Yeah. I think they need to bring in competition for that, for such a crucial position. Yeah. And again, getting back to this, you have, regardless of who does what Caleb's a certainty in terms of like playing a, a good amount of minutes starting probably Caleb, Damian Dunn, Jolly White, Hysir, and then that fifth starting spot, it's either Nick Jordan or maybe it's core comes in core. John comes Corey. in to start. Um, and then coming off the bench, you know, Zach Hicks is still going to play a ton of minutes and maybe then maybe it's, it's Hicks and Jordan are your two top starters off the bench. Aaron McKee really likes Jameel Reynolds' skill set, how good a shape is he going to be in? We'll see. Akpomo, I think, is still a year away. And, and that's it. I mean, they have 10 scholarship guys on the roster right now. And, again, we don't know for certain if, if, if Taj is going to be able to play. So, yeah, I mean, there's still minutes available there. So I, I still think they maybe add one more guy and save two scholarships for the following season. I know fans get sick of hearing that, but I think there's even more reason to do it now. A, they're just – either behind for you know intentionally or unintentionally on getting players. But I think that when you try to fill out, fill out the roster, like for example, when, when Fran Dunphy took Jimmy McDonald, people were like, why are you doing this? And Dunph was basically saying, Hey, I, in an AAU game, I saw a six foot 10 kid who could shoot. I know his foot speed isn't ideal, but it, it's a, it's a low risk, high reward type of guy. If he turns out to be a good player, then he was diamond in the rough. If not, he was an end of the roster guy who has great grades and doesn't give you any problems. That's more like what he turned out to be. But I think yeah, the there, there was, there was a couple weeks stretch though, where you could kind of see it. Yeah. It was on that really bad team, but he was starting as like a redshirt freshman or redshirt sophomore. You're like, Oh, okay. Maybe this makes sense. And then. Yeah. Never happened. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how in today's portal, you know, I think so many guys, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Cause guys hit the portal cause they want more playing time. And obviously we're not in these conversations. We don't know exactly what Aaron McKee and his staff are telling guys, but I think if you're Aaron and his staff and you're looking to fill another spot or two, you're saying like, well, you might be coming off the bench this coming year, but there are real minutes there for you two years from now when we don't know for sure if we'll have Caleb battle, we don't know for sure if we'll have Damian done. Right. Who, who the hell knows, you know, what, what will happen in the future. So I think you have to, find that sweet spot where you say to a guy, are you comfortable coming in this season being a role player? You may only play five, 10 minutes a game. And then the, the real payoff for you is in year two. That's what's interesting about recruiting out of the portal. Now that's why I wouldn't be totally surprised if that last, the last of these three scholarships is potentially a high school guy. Fans might, they may not want to hear that. They might say, Hey, we need a missing piece now if you really want to get to the tournament. And I, I understand part of that, but I wouldn't be totally, totally shocked if it's, a high school player that they pick up, but we'll, we'll see. And um, you, you keep a scholarship for the mid-year enrollee, which is becoming more and more of a thing yep. in college basketball. Yep. Like Demir Bishop, who it didn't work out, but Demir, the reason St. Joe's was able to get Demir Bishop is because they had a oh, mid-year scholarship. Yeah. The reason that Taj Thweet wasn't able to come to Temple in January is because Temple did not have a scholarship. Yep. Now you got scholarships. Yep. And so on the football recruiting front, as we said at the outset of the show, Temple has landed its first 2023 recruit uh, on the football side of things in Richard Dandridge. And again, as, as we said before, looks like a pretty good pickup for them. Uh, a player from Florida, um, from Heritage High School, right? Yeah. Homestead. Homestead High School. Excuse me. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and again, I don't know in what order these guys offered, who was still involved, but at one point, at some point during his recruitment, I had offers from Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Louisville, West Virginia. So he's a little bit on the, the slighter side at 5'10", 160 pounds, but looks like an ideal candidate to, to come in and play the slot. Had 10 touchdowns, 1,030 receiving yards as a junior. Um, not a bad start for them. It goes to show you that Jafar Williams, who, who you know came in, uh, a Philly guy from the Virginia Tech staff, has some ties down in Florida, nice way to lead off the class. Um, and now, uh, via Twitter, um, you know, um, oh God, who was it that was dropping hints? We talked about Chris this. Woods. Chris Woods. Chris Woods dropping hints that there's a, 
what do you say two for tuesday two for tuesday which is a fantastic promotion if you're a local pizza place bar anything yeah so we would assume we reasonably assume that somebody else has committed don't know yet that news could break between us, you know, finishing up recording and, and posting the pod, but it looks like a second verbal commitment is on the way. But I mean, general thoughts on this one, guys, in terms of it being, you know, it's it's May 25th. Their first camp uh, is going to be this weekend. They're going back to very smartly. Uh, we would add uh, going back to holding that 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 camp, uh, that Memorial Day camp, something that Rod Carey got away from um, not doing it at EL, though, just saying. They're going to be a traditionalist. At, They're doing it at the star complex. Yeah. But I'm sure these, anybody who, who is, who they like, who they were offer, I would imagine they'll bring them down to EO. So um, camp season's coming up. You get your first verbal commitment in the books. What do you guys think of this? I mean, I think it's a good one. I think uh, Temple needs talent at the skill positions, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched a lot of uh, Richard Dandridge film, but um, they need talent. I say uh, to you, why not, Dante? Why yeah, not? well, you know, it's, it's a little bit difficult to find. I do have a huddle subscription, so I've been able to pull that out a couple times. But um, I, I mean, he's he's slight of frame, but look, they need, they need playmakers at that spot. So, I mean, you're going to have to put a little bit of weight on him, whether or not he plays the slot or outside at 5'10". You probably want him inside, but if he's a true 5'10", you might be able to get away with him outside um in certain matchups i mean look they need all the talent they can get there i think what this goes to show and what i would pin down um talking about since i haven't really seen him play is that um if i remember correctly i mean jafar williams i think one of the bigger things about him was some of his florida recruiting ties so i think it's like good to see him be able to go into that state and get a solid recruit uh coming out so i think that's like a good like proof of concept i'm pretty sure i wrote that when he got hired uh that you know florida was one of his bigger states for recruiting so it's nice to see him like go down there and actually just pull a prospect so um i think all around this is about what you want to see it's you know he seems like a you know a, a player who has the talent to compete in the american conference and you know they need help at the skill positions i think you know I kind of view that in college football, like quarterback, a lot of the time uh, where that's a position where you just got to keep throwing darts at a board until you hit on some kid who can make something happen in the open field. Uh, You know, it's not like the NFL where wide receiver talent is just very, you know, you could get a a C level receiver in the NFL and with a good quarterback kind of turn him into a really good player in college football. You need a certain amount of guys who can make things happen for themselves. So uh, they need to keep throwing darts at that position. This seems like a good one. And again, I think it's nice to see, Jafar Williams kind of live up to that Florida recruiting billing, at least early here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's actually, I mean, this this is obviously a Jafar Williams situation, but I think there's actually a fair amount of Florida connections on this staff, which is not something I necessarily assumed would be the case. Chris Wiesahan recruits Tampa a lot. I think Preston Brown even has some connections there via like the IMG Academy. Chris Woods is down there a fair amount. Like Florida in the past has been beneficial to Temple, and I think it'll continue to be so. Um, the wide receiver group, if you looked at Temple's uh, scholarship board, which you can see on askgroup.com, I think is still pretty top heavy as far as production goes, like age wise. Like if Adonica Sanders won't be here past this year, Amad Anderson's a fifth year junior, Jose Barbon's a fifth year junior. I think there's, there's, you're starting to bring in some people like Ian Stewart, the Michigan State transfer is, is a redshirt freshman. I think there are going to be opportunities for young guys to come in and play pretty early at that wide receiver position. And look, I, I've learned in my 13 years here to never assume that a early Florida commit is going to end up at Temple because those happen a lot. They pledge in February through May and then in November they decommit and they end up going somewhere else. Um, but if in the event that he does come to Temple, I think it's a good get. It's a good start to your um, class, which is a little late to start this year. Um, I, I, obviously, I think people are willing to give them a little bit of a uh, leeway because it is their first like true recruiting class. But May is uh, pretty late for your first verbal historically with Temple. But uh, I think they will start coming in pretty frequently over the next six weeks. Yeah, so I believe Caden is set to – Talk to him at some point tonight, so we'll have a, a follow-up story on him on the site. And uh, like I said, maybe perhaps between now and when we uh, post the podcast, uh, there might be news of a second verbal commitment, so stay tuned for that. We do have a couple of mailbag questions to, to close things out here, um, both football-related, both quarterback-related. Uh, and this goes back to um, 
the developments last week of Quincy Patterson coming to Temple, announcing his verbal commitment, uh, transferring in from North Dakota State. So the first question here is from Mike TB31, one of our Alscoop.com subscribers. That's the screen name here. Vote on who you think will start at quarterback for Temple in game one, uh, Dewan Mathis or Quincy Patterson. Kyle, you want to start? Sure. Um, I actually got, I'm kind of going over this a little bit in my head. I, I, my gut tells me Quincy Patterson. I don't think it's like a sure thing. Like, Oh, this is going to be, he's going to blow the barns off and Dwan Mathis is going to realize by week two of practice that he's out class. I think it's going to be a true competition. And I bet you coming into the week, the game day week, it'll be like a, or, but I bet you we get Quincy Patterson. Dante. I think if Dewan stays, I think he wins that job just in the, now if the question was who finishes the season as the starting quarterback, I think I'd probably lean towards Quincy, but I don't know. Stan Drayton strikes me as the type of head coach where he's just going to sit down and be like, Dewan knows the offense the best. I'm the most comfortable with him. I'm going to roll him out early and we're going to give Quincy running reps and packages. And then we're slowly going to work him through, but I don't know. I'm really, it's a coin flip. For me, like I don't, I'm not really leaning heavily either way. Just kind of a hunch. I want to play off that real quick. The Dwan knows the offense the best. Dwan had 15 spring practices for it, and yeah, I guess gets to read the book. But if three months from now Quincy Patterson hasn't picked up the playbook, then that's a bigger concern because this isn't like Dwan Mathis played all last year in this offense. It, it, it's pretty much a brand new offense to him too. So I, I don't know if that is going to necessarily lean on it. I just. My gut just tells me that, like, if Stan Drayton was comfortable with Juwan Mathis being his starting quarterback on the road against the ACC team, granted that pretty bad ACC team against the ACC team, then maybe he would have chosen some of his words more carefully during the spring. Because I don't think there were ringing endorsements of Juwan Mathis throughout, throughout no, spring ball. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Yeah. My way too early May 25th prediction, I think I, I kind of tend to, you know, venture into what Dante's thinking here. I think Dewan starts the season and I think maybe by September 24th against UMass, Quincy Patterson's your starter. I think they start the season with Dewan. I think there are packages for Quincy. You see him start against Lafayette. Maybe Dewan bounces back. God, I would think he would bounce back against Lafayette. You would hope if, if he can't have a good game against Lafayette, then what are we doing? Uh, then they have Rutgers a week later. I, I could see packages for Quincy Patterson and then him starting by, you know, that, that fourth and final uh, non-conference game a week before you uh, head down to Memphis to, to begin conference play on October 1st. But uh, I'll just say, I know you guys probably talked about this a bit last week. I don't know. I only listened to the first 14 minutes of the podcast. Why was that? Um, (laughs) Everybody say what they like about Kyle. I, I know some people maybe like are overreacting to the Quincy Patterson edition that, Hey, all of a sudden this makes them a, you know, a seven win team or an eight win team or something like that. I think all it really does initially is make it that if Dwan Mathis goes down with an injury, the season all of a sudden isn't completely off the rails. I think it brings depth to a, a room that really needed depth. Yeah. And prevents you from playing EJ Warner. If they really like, if they really want to preserve, if they really want to redshirt EJ Warner and then be able to, bring him along slowly in in year two, but uh, we shall see. Um, Last mailbag question here to, to close things out. Also uh, related to this question, it comes from Phi Kappa Al three. Again, a screen name from one of our subscribers to your point on the last pod. If I recall, there's a possibility that Patterson gets packages, but Mathis remains QB one. Again, that's what we just speculated about. We, none of that is of course certain. Based on your knowledge of their personalities slash transfer histories, do we think these two can coexist and thrive in an environment like this? Also, would each have to sit out a year if they transfer again? That might help answer the first question. So I, the first part of this, I, I, I talked to Adam DeMichael about this on the podcast that I do with him. We recorded last night on the Bleeding Temple Football podcast, and Adam knows Dewan a little bit. And he said, you know, I would like to think, and, and if, if you listen to this, it makes sense. He was like, I would like to think that he doesn't act any differently with a new quarterback coming in. And what he meant by that was you don't want to come across as the guy like who thinks he has it made. And then someone else comes in as competition. And then you become someone that you're not, and you, you start to work harder than you did before. And then guys start to see through that and say, okay, did you only do this now because you feel uncomfortable? Um, 
how do we think these two can coexist? I mean, it's fair to speculate. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, Dewan hasn't gone anywhere yet. Um, we haven't talked to Dewan Mathis. We didn't talk to any players um, in the spring. I mean, even in the spring, I think it, I, I think not to stir up drama. I think it would have been interesting. I think if, had we talked to players in the spring, I think we might've been asking them more like reactionary questions. You know, if like Stan Drayton says X player, Y, what do you think of this? Like if Stan Drayton is saying, Hey, I think we need competition at every position. Or when Stan Drayton said, I don't like what I'm seeing. Out of the, I don't, I need to see more leadership out of the wide receiver room. Then yeah, you'd like to go, Hey, Jose Barbone, what does that mean to you? Um, you know, if, if, if Stan Drayton says, I, I think we need to bring in somebody at quarterback. Yeah, sure. As all, if the players were available, we'd love to talk to Dwan Mathis. Hey, how do you feel about that? Again, not to stir up drama or to just stir up content for the sake of content, but it's a, a logical question to ask. As of now, May 25th, while Mathis is still there, do we think these two can coexist and thrive in an environment like this? Yeah, why not? I mean, like Dante said this in the last pod, I mean, if he's the better thrower at this point, then he should be able to win the job and, and we'll see how it, it plays out. Would each have to sit out a year if they transfer again for Dewan? If he transfers down to the FCS level, he does not have to sit, right? He's immediately eligible. That's correct. He would I don't have know to... about Quincy because he's already done that. Yeah. Um, with Dewan, if he wanted to play right away at another FBS school, it would have to be a waiver situation, right? Right. Yes. If he And that would mean Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan. Or if he graduates, because, I mean, he's uh, he hasn't used his, his grad, grad transfer. Yeah. So at this point, he is a fourth-year sophomore. So in theory, he could graduate. I don't know. Um, yeah. It's possible. But I think the answer to the initial question, like, uh, Quincy Patterson has done this, right? Like, he coexisted the last five, six, seven games of the North Dakota State season, and they won a national championship. Uh, I don't think he wants to do that. I think the reason he transferred is because he wants to put – could get some film and try to show that he can play quarterback at the next level. Um, so, but I think just like logistically, I don't think he's too proud to be part of a package. Um, for Dwan, look, I know there's some people that probably soured a little bit on Dwan Mathis just because of the way the kind of the season ended and maybe they had unreasonable expectations, but in the end, I mean, he's a guy that's overcome a lot in his life. And I would think mm -hmm. that he's uh, more than capable as a 21 year old, 22 year old to, um, to do the right thing, to be mature at times. I mean, for to his credit, Juan Mathis, if I was Juan Mathis last year, there would have been plenty of opportunities for me to take shots at the coaching staff. Like, I would have popped off at some point because, like, they're not putting you in a position to succeed. Uh, they're kind of messing with your livelihood a little bit. And he didn't. So he showed maturity at times. I think he would be able to show maturity in that situation as well. There was the – what game was it where there was the the whole – Oh, the audible game? Yeah, the whole audible. When was that? God, what, what game was that? Was that uh, after? That wasn't after. That was when things started to come apart. So it would have been after Memphis. Yeah. yeah. Um, the whole like. But that was I, the closest you got. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that's not an opportunity that's afforded to me or whatever. But everything else, like he, he talked about how much he like their good relationships and all this stuff. So like even after the Iverson Clement stuff initially, he kind of still spoke the company word so i don't yeah. doubt dwan mathis's ability to do the right thing yeah so. i would say like my bigger concern is how do they coexist on the field if it's like truly like a package situation mm -hmm. um i'm a firm believer in the phrase of if you have two quarterbacks you actually have none um i don't think the two quarterback pass packages are really good especially at the fbs level i think a team like north dakota state can make it work because i mean they're a juggernaut and nobody really challenges them legitimately in the fcs most years so patterson bought um, into that he came back from his injury and actually had what like 91 yards rushing in the fcs title game yeah so, and he was a legit weapon for them so like I, I would not be surprised to see temple do that but i think like that cannot be your long-term solution no, to the quarterback problem no, this year i don't think that no. that is ever going to work uh against you know a higher class i i think that I, I really don't think so. I have seen Florida won a national championship. Though, it? How long ago was that? 15 years ago, but they okay. won a national championship. All right, I'm though, sorry. Uh, all right. There's Collins, there's what, Chris, yeah. Chris, Chris, oh. uh, How do I know? it was Tebow and Chris, Chris something. Um, yeah. Chris yeah. Rock. Chris Leak. I was going to say Chris Peak, who is the publisher and editor of the Pittsburgh rival site, but no, Chris Leak is what I was thinking. <laughs> <Not Chris Peake. laughs> um, or well, if you want to be Jeff. 
Florida tried it last year and the entire staff got fired. So there, <laughs> there, there's my rebuttal to that. Um, Jeff Collins tried I, it with, uh, he said, three quarterbacks to play against. Temple tried it last year. Yes. yes. Like, like yes. Justin Lynch came in for entire things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of stuff unsettled in the future. So um, we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. Again, it sounds like we'll have an, at least another football verbal commitment to talk about who knows what's on the horizon for basketball. So again, hope, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the Khalif Wyatt interview. Again, you can hear the rest of it. Uh, if you subscribe to Al scoop, or if you are already an Al scoop subscriber, a big, big thank you to Khalif Wyatt. Always great to, to catch up with him and I uh, hope you're all doing well out there and we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.